thank you, Brother Terry. Thank you, choir. Thank all of you. Thank you uh, for participating, taking part in worship this morning. And so that's what it's all about when we come together to worship. Now to hear God's Word. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. We looked at this uh, chapter last week as we spoke about the prodigal son. This morning I want to share with you a sermon that I've just entitled The Prodigal Brother. The prodigal son last week, the prodigal brother. We want to look at Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, and we'll read uh, verses 25 through 32 as our text. Luke chapter 15, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to be in this place today. Thank you for an opportunity to worship you as we have uh, worshiped in singing and praise songs and hymns and as we have just drawn close to you, Lord, in just a time of worship. Thank you for an opportunity even before the service began, Lord, to, to have a preparation time as we just begin to clear our minds of the world and, and think about, Lord, uh, how you're worthy and what you've done for us in our lives and what you've given us. Now we open your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. Give me clarity. Give me the speech I need. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. And Lord, I pray that you will be honored in everything that I say. Father, allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Let him be our guide. Help us not to be just hearers of the word, but doers of your word. Speak to our hearts this morning. Again, help me, Father, I pray as I share your word, and I make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a series of parables. Now, we talked about parables last week, what a parable was. A parable is nothing more than just a story. It's a heavenly story, but it has an earthly meaning, and we realize that Jesus spoke a lot in parables. Uh, you know, I heard a preacher, I heard a, a church member one time at a different church criticized the preacher, and they said all he does is tell stories. Well, Jesus told stories. Jesus told parables, and, and then he would tell these uh, earthly stories, and he'd have a heavenly meaning, and so that's what a parable is. So Jesus tells a series of parables in Luke chapter 15, uh, which are intended to teach the truth about how God loves the sinner. He speaks about the lost sheep in verses 4 through 7. He speaks about the lost coin in verse 11, uh, verses 8 through 10. And then he speaks about the lost son, the prodigal son, in verses 11 through 24. So last week we, we looked at the parable of the prodigal son, verses 11 through 24. Now the prodigal, uh, the prodigal uh, son is about a father-son who requested his inheritance, if you remember, and he went into a far country. We discover that the far country really doesn't mean distance as much as being apart from the Father. Some people leave the Father. They don't have to travel a great distance to do that. You can leave the Father in just in a short distance. You can, in a short amount of time, you can leave the Father. And so he went into a far country. Point being, he pulled away from the Father. He left the Father. And so if you're not careful, you'll be in a far country, not necessarily in distance, 
but away from the Father. So the point is, he wasn't as close to the Father as he once was. In verse 14, he spent all that he had. He took all of his inheritance, if you remember, and he spent it on riotous living. He spent it on worldly living. He, he spent his life inheritance, if you would, living like one uh, without, without God. He was living a worldly life as one without God. He was enjoying the things of the world, while at the same, thing, uh, same time he was opposing uh, the will of the Father. He was enjoying the things of the world. He opposed the things of the Father. He opposed the things of God. He spent all. spent all on righteous living. In other words, uh, uh, many people do that today. They, they spend and spend and spend. It's all not about money, but they spend other things, too, that you really can't put a value uh, on or a price to. Uh, he spent it on, uh, on, on harlots, so he spent it on women and Spend on, uh, you think of righteous living being uh, 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 harlotry or, or, or fornication or sex or adultery or, or alcohol or gambling or drugs. And, and we see that going on in our society today, just righteous living, living, with, living as though there's, there's no God and then spending on things that have really, um, uh, they have, you can't put a price on your reputation, for instance, or your health or your morals. So life became empty for this young man, and the same happens today when people live that way. I talk to so many, and they seem like, what is my purpose in life? Life has no purpose, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And so they've wasted, you're looking at a wasted life. And here it was with this young man. Life became empty Nothing left, he thought. However, he came to his senses. Verse 17, he began to talk to himself. He came to his senses, and he began to remember that the hired servants had more to eat than he did. And he found himself slopping the hogs and eating with the hogs and, and, um, while others were enjoying the blessings of his father. So he made a decision. So he made a decision to return to the father. And you have the great confession. He said, I'll return to the Father, and, and I'll say to the Father, Father, I, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. So he repented, and he returned there in verse 21, and he was received well by the Father, if you remember. His Father forgave him. You had the great confession by the Father. He said, or the great confession by the Son, and, and the great compassion by the Father. He said, this is my son who was dead. He's alive. He's lost. He's found Go get the ring, get the robe, get the shoes, kill the fatted calf. There in verses 22 through 24. And so that's the prodigal son coming back to the father. But then there's another character. This is the elder brother. We'll pick up in verse 25, if you will. Verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field. And that's important. You can underline field. His elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. So there's, there's an excitement. There's a party going on. He called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. And he would not go in. Therefore came the father out. So he sent a servant trying to beckon this elder son to come and made him mad. 
So he's pouting, and so the father goes out and entreated him, tried to persuade him to come in. And he answered and said to his father, in verse 29, Lo, these many years I, uh, do I serve thee, neither transgressed at any time thy commandment. I've done what you've asked me to do. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meant that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now we don't hear very much about this elder brother. You hear preaching about the prodigal son, but you don't hear much about this elder brother. We hear mostly about that son returning. And the reason for that, I believe, is because we just like to focus on the emotional return of the son and the emotional acceptance of the father. We like that. that that's good. And also, we don't hear much about this uh, elder brother because we try to avoid it, perhaps, uh, in a way, because it may remind us of ourselves in some, some way. It, it kind of uh, hits a little too close to home at times when we talk a lot about this elder son. And so there's a, a little, there's a, there's a little, maybe a lot of this elder brother in, in each of us. So therefore, this morning, we want to look briefly at this prodigal brother there in verses 25 through 32. Now, this, this is about the second son of the father. Most theologians, Bible scholars, believe the older son represents, now remember this earthly parable has a heavenly meaning, they, they believe that um, this elder son represented the, the religious elite of the day, the, the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, represented those self-righteous religionists. Religionists. Put it this way. The moral, the just, the good person who never committed any type of gross visible sin. I mean, it is this person who is religious. Remember, he said, Lord, I've, he told his father, Father, I've never acted like my brother. Never acted like you. I've, I've obeyed your commandments. I would never thought to have acted this way. I never would have done it. I, I've always lived like you wanted me to live. And so, so this religionist, thought he was moral and he was just and he was just a good person and he never committed any gross, visible sins. And so it's this person who is religious and does religious works and believes that he's acceptable to God. Therefore, in this chapter, Jesus points out some faults of the self-righteous. He, he begins to point out some faults of the religionist. Now, remember, there are two ways. You might say there are two ways to be lost. I know we're sinners by nature and by choice. We're lost. We're lost because we're sinners. We've broken God's rules, broken God's commandments. We've sinned against him. That's one way that you're lost. 
but you can, you can keep the rules. And you can, you can be good, like this elder brother. You still be lost. See, he didn't realize that. And so the gospel is not about being good in order to be saved. The gospel is about being saved in order to be good. See, I, I, I'm not trying to be good or moral to be saved. God expects me to live a sanctified life, to live a moral life. And I, live, I try to live that type of life because I am saved. The older brother kind of had it backwards. He was obeying the commands. He was living a righteous life, really trying to just seek his salvation that way. So the message of the elder brother really is twofold. For those who are lost in sin need to be saved, then you might be religious. You might be a good church member. You may be good. You may be morally good. But you've never been saved. And so the first message is that you're lost in sin. You need to be saved regardless how religious you might be. The second message is for those who are saved who have the same attitude as that elder brother when the prodigal came home. You know, that happens. We, our attitude stinks when someone that's lived a worldly life gets saved and they come into the church. Don't you look over there at that person. I know what they've done. I know what they've done all their life. You see, this is the attitude the elder brother had. He was self-righteous, living right, never done those things, but yet the person that came to the Father received many blessings because he came back to the Father. And so people get upset, just like this elder brother, when God blesses someone who comes to him, whether it's the drug addict or the alcoholic or the gambler or the prostitute, and the list goes on and on. You just don't like it when the prodigal comes home. That happens in church, sad, but it does. I want to show you a picture that was painted years and years and years, hundreds of years ago by Rembrandt. I believe we have that on the screen. Thank you, Joel. And I don't know if you can tell or not, but uh, I have a, little, have a little light up here that I think may hinder it just a little. But this is called the return of the prodigal son. And so if you can see, you have the, the prodigal son kneeling down at the father. The father has his hands on his back, has his hands outstretched. And then you have some kindly uh, figures in the background there. And that's probably perhaps some family members. But the guy over there on the right is depicted to be the elder brother. And a lot is told about the elder brother because you have the father with his hands outstretched and his hands on his son, receiving his son. But then you have that elder brother over there, and the elder brother has his hands folded. You tell a lot about the hands. And his hands are folded. And the folded hands really, some say, just is a sign of control. You know, control and, and unacceptance and non-acceptance. And so you have the elder brother there. This is Rembrandt's drawing of the return of the prodigal. And you can even see his disgust in his eyes. And his mouth looks like he has a frown. Has a frown. And so this is, this is the acceptance of the prodigal. You see this a lot when people re, uh, come to the Lord in church and they've lived a, an unmoral, an immoral life and, and people who are self-righteous and are religionists, they accept them that way. But they don't accept them, really. And so there's some faults in this elder brother. Let me mention three of them right quick. 
The first fault was he was in the field away from the house. Remember that. He's in the field, verse 25 through 27. He's in the field. What's he doing in the field? He's working. He's in the field. He was in the field. Really, the religious aspect of this, he was in the field of religion. Not in the house of salvation. So he's out in the field. He was, he was working diligently. So this religionist is working in the field of religion. He's, he's serving the Father. He's, he's going through rituals, no doubt, through ordinances, through prayer. Uh, he even talks religious. He was a very religious person, no doubt. The point is, he professes to know God and to be religious, but he's lost. See, he he's just has religion. You do all the religious stuff that you want to do, and you can die and you can miss heaven. According to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, listen to what God's Word says. It says, and this is some of the most frightening words in the Bible. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus speaking said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall, uh, Matthew, let me see, I'm sorry, Matthew 7. I've turned to the wrong one. Matthew 7. Turn to Matthew 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and in your name cast out devils, and in your name done wonderful works? And then he will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so you have the condemnation of the religionist. In Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. The point is, religion doesn't, uh, doesn't equal salvation. Church membership doesn't equal salvation. Being in church doesn't make you a Christian. Yeah. The Bible says you must be born again. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Um, you find where Nicodemus came to, to Jesus and and he said, Lord, how, how can I enter the kingdom of heaven? John 3, verse 3 says, Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Verse 7 says, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. So the main thing with Jesus in regards to salvation was to be born again, to to receive a new birth from above. He says, well, how can a man enter into his mother's womb and be born again? He said, Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And so it's not about being religious, but it's about experiencing a new birth that can only come about by the Holy Spirit, which begs the question, are you saved? Not do you go to church on Sunday or have you been baptized or do you read your Bible every day? Those are good things and they have their proper place, but they won't save you. So fault number one of the elder brother, he was working in the religious field and he was not in the house of salvation. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this. Reminds me, verse 3, verse 5. 2 Timothy 3, 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So there's people who have a form of godliness. But really, there's no depth to it. So fault number one, this elder brother was working in the religious field and he was not in the house of salvation. 
Fault number two, this prodigal brother, this religionist, demonstrated a rejection of God. Look, if you will, Luke chapter 15. Look at verse uh, 28. Uh, verse uh, 27. He said unto him, Thy brothers come. Thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. In verse 28, he was angry. That word angry mean he was, means he was red-faced. Literally means red-faced. So he's in the field and he's angry while the repentant brother is in the father's house. The word also means having a clenched fist. He was that angry. So you have one working in the religious field and you have one being repentant before the father and the one in the religious field was angry enough that probably could have hit his brother. He was angry at the repentant son, his brother. He didn't understand repentance. I mean, how can anyone who's lived like that, been immoral, been dirty, been unclean, how could he change so much? And so this religionist didn't understand about being saved or being filled with the Holy Spirit or being full of joy that only God can give or peace that only God can give, being delivered immediately from bad habits such as cursing and selfishness and... and uh, and being healed of some dreaded disease. He didn't understand all that stuff. So the religiousness wants nothing to do with the house of repentance of salvation. He'd rather just be out in the field. He just kind of shuts himself out of the house and he criticizes the celebration that's going on in the house. That's all he could do. Notice that this religionist shuts himself out. Not God. I mean... God didn't shut him out. The father didn't shut him out. He shut himself out. He refused to go. So the father went out. What did the father do? The father went out to beg this elder son. Verse 28. He was angry. He wouldn't go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. So the father went out and begged the elder son to come to the house. Begged him to understand this repentance and salvation. No, uh, he, was, he was filled with religion. He was so close to repentance and to the gospel. He wanted to stay right where he was at. And so first fault, the elder brother was working in the religious field. The second fault, the elder, elder brother rejected God the Father. And third, let me finish with this. You have the religionist, the self-righteous, claim three things. You can notice those in verse, in verse 29. Look at this. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. First thing he claimed is he, 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 he's been a sl I've been a slave for you, Father. I've worked for you all these years. I've, I've worked, and, and he truly had worked. A religionist does a lot of work. I mean, they, they worship, and they pray, and they tithe, and they witness, and they read their Bible, and they may even teach a class or preach behind the pulpit. I, I don't know. But he was a slave. I've been a slave. He considered himself a slave. For these many years do I serve. That word serve comes from the Greek word doulos, which comes from the Greek word meaning slave. I've been a slave for you. And he says, secondly, neither have I transgressed I at any time your commandment. So I, I've, I, I've been a slave for you. I've, I've been moral and I've been just. I've never disobeyed your order. I've never acted this way. I've never acted immoral. I've never stole anything, lied, cursed. I mean, I've been obedient, he claimed that. And then look, and yet, 
Thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. So he just felt like he, he deserved more from the Father for what all he'd done for the Father. So three major faults of the, of the prodigal elder. The elder brother was in the field, the field of religion and away from the house of salvation. The elder brother demonstrated a rejection of God. He shut God out. And then the elder brother, his religion claimed three things. I've slaved for you, I've never acted this way, and, and I deserve more. Now, when we conclude right now, let me... Have you, have you ever noticed how this, this story has an open ending? It's an open-ending story. It has, really has no end. The question is, did the brother ever come to the feast? Did he ever show up? Well, we don't know. We don't know. I believe Jesus left it open-ended for a reason. I believe that every person here today, myself included, all of us must write our own ending to this story. We have to write it. Because in this story, the elder brother represents religious leaders of Israel, the scribes, the Pharisees. They refused to come to the feast. They even murdered the father. So the question is, how will the story end for you? Are you lost today? Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ? You say, Brother Sammy, I, I'm religion. I'm, relig I'm religious. You know, I have people tell me that. Where do you attend church? Well, I'm not too... I guess I'm a religious person, or I'm not too religious, or I'm a religious person. Well, how do you rate yourself in this story? Do you need to come to Jesus for salvation? Are you just a religionist? Are you, are you just working in the fields of religion? Or have you a relationship with this person by the name of Jesus Christ? Have you truly put your faith and trust in Him? Are you saved? Are you where you need to be? If not, you need to get things right today. Stop trusting in your own good works. Stop trusting in being religious, but have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, you see, there's a party going on, and you're invited to it. And don't stay outside just listening to the celebration. You need to come on in to the Father's house. And then perhaps this morning, I have a good word that I heard recently that just really spoke to me just a simple word and that's clean have a good word for the repentant one who comes to the father and says, father i've sinned and that word is clean clean regardless what you've been in the past god can cleanse you regardless what you've done in the past god can cleanse you when you come to the father the very first time and say lord I want to trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. I want you to forgive me of my sins. He'll cleanse you at that time. He'll clean you. And when you come to him as his child after you've been saved and, and your life is not what it should be, you can fall on your knees and say, God, I've messed up as your child. I'm coming back to you. Please forgive me. He'll cleanse you. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So regardless what the religionists say, in church when you come forward, you may have some religionists there and say, oh, I remember that person, I remember what they've done. I'm going to tell you what, you stand claim before the Lord. And they'll stand judged before the Lord. The word is clean. 
clean, clean. Uh, an opportunity to open your word as we see the prodigal son come back home and come to the father and father be restored as a son. And then as we see the elder brother who fought that, Lord, and Lord who had rather just stay in the, in the field of religion and refuse to go into the house of repentance and salvation, willing to give up a celebration, Lord, just for jealousy or hatred or resentment but Lord as we examine our own lives I pray for each person here and we thank you Lord for going to the cross and dying on the cross for our sins regardless what we've done in the past what we've been in the past Lord we know that your blood cleanses us from all sin and so Father we pray this morning I pray for each person here and and I pray that we could we could leave here knowing, Father, that we could describe our life as just clean, clean, clean. And so I pray for each person, those who have never trusted you, first for their salvation, that they would come today and humble their heart, ask you to come into their life and save them. Others, perhaps, who have been saved, but yet for whatever reason they've drifted apart, I pray this will be a time they'll come in confession and repentance and come back to the Father. I pray, Lord, I pray for any religionists that we have, Lord, today would see the need of coming to you by faith and simply trusting you, that they're saved by grace through faith in you and, and not anything that they can do. And so I pray, Lord, that we'll rely upon you for our salvation. Father, we pray now you'll speak to us during our invitation time. And as you speak to hearts, may they be willing, Lord, to obey your Holy Spirit's leading. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Tears going to lead us in Just As I Am. That's a familiar hymn. Let's stand together.